Amen. Lord, we pray and ask in your mercy that you would make this thing come to life, people's hearts. just want to pray that, Lord. Make it come to life. Pray it would be like uh, some sparks would come. Be like, Lord, we just recognize that we, there's only you can bring life. You're the God of life. So please bring life tonight. Amen. All right, so uh, we're looking at a parable of Jesus t- tonight. Um, we're looking at a psalm every other week and a parable every other week over the winter. So we're going to look at the parable of the unforgiving servant, which you will find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. So if you do have a Bible with you, then it's a good idea to, um, to find it there. I seem to have someone's Bible here on the front row. Uh, has anyone lost a black Bible with no name in the front? Yep, there you go, mate. All right. Um, okay, so um, now before I read you the parable, the story, I want to just give you a little bit of background so you understand what's going on. You understand the context, the background. Jesus has been um, teaching about his disciples about what the church is to be like, what kind of a community the church is to be. And he said that um, one of the things he was talking about was if, if, if someone in the church sins against you, if someone does wrong against you, says something hurtful, lets you down, betrays you, gossips about you, um, you know, um, doesn't support you, whatever it might be, um, if someone does that, then instead of speaking to everyone else about them, you need to go and speak to them. Okay? And then with a view to forgiveness and reconciliation. So Jesus is really saying that the, with the church, it's going to be a counterculture. It's not going to look like the rest of the world. Um, what tends to happen in the rest of the world is that if someone is bad to someone, then there tends to be a response that is destructive. Other people are drawn in and take sides and it just becomes a, a, a horrible, a destructive thing. Jesus says, no, if someone wrongs you, you go and you graciously speak to them and you look to reconcile. That's, that's what the church should be like. And then um, chapter 18 of Matthew, uh, verse 21, we get Peter. You can always rely on Peter to say what everyone else is thinking, right? You know, you, have, you, have to, you need those people, don't you? That they, they're the one who actually pipes up. But everyone else is sitting there thinking, phew, I'm glad he said it, because I was thinking exactly that. That's Peter, he's that man, right? You need someone like that in every community. Um, they're really helpful. So Peter says, Peter came up to him and said, uh, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Ouch. So Peter's been listening about the, to Jesus' teaching, and you can see him, his cogs starting to turn, and he's thinking, how long will this have to go on for? You know, so someone sins against me, and I go and I front them up, and we forgive and reconcile, but how many times? What if they just keep doing the same thing? There must be a limit to this. And what happens is, you see, uh, he, when he says to Jesus, is it, is it seven times? He's thinking he's being really radical at this point. Here's why. If you go back to Genesis, you find a guy called Lamech. And he says, if someone is bad to me, I will have a sevenfold vengeance. Okay? That's how it was in those days. 
Then you get the law of Moses and God says no, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Compared to Lamech, that was really nice. Okay? That was like, wow. Seriously, just, yeah, that's, all, that's great. Peter thinks, well, we'll go, we'll go one further, you know, because we know Jesus is radical. So he says, how many times? Seven? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Now, at this point, Jesus isn't saying 490. Just so you know. He's not saying, when it gets to 491, you take them out. He's not saying that. Okay? He's saying, Peter, you're approaching it from a very calculated point of view. You're keeping score. Yep, forgiving you that. You've got six more chances. That kind of mentality, Jesus is saying, nah, what I'm doing, what I'm building isn't like that. It's actually very, very different. It's incredibly different. Uh, it's, it doesn't really keep count. We forgive, and then we forgive. And then we forgive. And then Jesus tells a story to illustrate how, I mean really how, Jesus could honestly suggest that human beings could live in such a way. Because it's not natural, is it? Let's just be honest. We all feeling nice because, you know, the dim lights are on and we're in church. But let's just be honest. It's not natural behavior, is it? People tend to fire back as soon as someone hurts them. So we're going to read this in just a moment. Um, the whole thrust of it is about forgiveness. And um, we're going to really get into some stuff. And it may be a bit of a bombshell for some of you. So before I read it and explain it, I just want to help you understand biblically what is Forgiveness, just so we're all on the same page. Forgiveness, the word, the Greek word means to send forth or to let go. So to forgive someone is an act whereby you say, I'm no longer going to hold on to you. Okay? I'm no longer going uh, to keep you bound up, bound to me through what you did. I'm no longer going to plan revenge. I'm no longer going to sit in my room and stew on what you did. I'm no longer going to stick your face to my dartboard and uh, practice. You know, I'm no longer going to, um, going to tell others what you did. I'm going to genuinely, with all that I am, let you go. I'm going to release you. That is forgiveness. Um, now, forgiveness and trust are different things. Very, very important. Let me illustrate. If I, as a um, pastor in the church here, one of the pastors, if I was to fall into some, you know, serious kind of sin, if I was to maybe, I don't know, you know, take the money in the pot tonight, the £7.50, and uh, <laughs> run off with it, and, you know, <laughs> if I was to run off with the church money or you know, if there were a church secretary, if I was, that's Richard, isn't it? It's not going to work, is it? But if, if I was to fall into some grave sin, okay? If I was to do something bad and terrible, um, and then came to regret it, came back and stood before you and said, please, will you forgive me? As a gospel community, you ought to. You ought to say, yes, we absolutely forgive you. And yet, that is not to say that you should then reinstate me as your pastor. Why? Because there's a trust issue there, isn't there? There's a trust issue. It may be that over time that happens, 
but it's not part of the forgiveness package. In fact, if you'd straight away just reinstated me, it would make me vulnerable and it would make you vulnerable. It would be unwise. A friend of mine cheated on his wife and was found out. It's always harder when someone's found out because you, in the back of your mind you're always thinking, would they ever have confessed? But he was found out and he, you know, um, apologised, uh, confessed to, to it all um, and then looked to try to get back with his wife who, who really was not really wasn't sure. And I remember speaking to him and him saying, I don't know what's the matter with us, you just won't forgive me. And I remember thinking to myself, I think you're confused between forgiveness and trust. She may well have forgiven you, but it may take some time for that trust to be rebuilt. So they're different things. So when I speak about forgiveness, I'm not saying therefore you should trust everyone implicitly. Um, I think trust is something that is built up over time and with a track record can trust people when there's a track record develops. I think it's always good to give people the benefit of the doubt, but God does not call us to be naive. He says you're to be as shrewd as serpents, and yet as innocent as doves. So just to help you, is that okay? Just some clarity on that. Let's read the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, a uh, bit of perspective there, that's uh, 3,000 million pounds. Okay? That's 3 billion. That's what it is. 3 billion and 3,000 million, same thing. Quite a lot. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's 10,000 pounds equivalent. So we've got 3,000 million and 10,000 pounds. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to your Bible, may say the jailers, the Greek is to the torturers, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Perhaps one of the most shocking scriptures in the whole of the Bible. Hand it over to the torturers and then Jesus says, so also will my heavenly Father do to you, Christian, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's look at this tonight, shall we? First of all, We've got this 3,000 million pound debt. Now just to give you some perspective in terms of what it would take to pay that off. 
I worked out that it would take you about 150,000 years, earning a wage of 20,000 pounds a year. To give you some perspective on what 150,000 years looks like, if you worked backwards in time from today to the time of Jesus, you would have paid off 40 million. This guy owed 3,000 million. 150,000 years is a long time. Why is Jesus using a figure so ludicrous as this? Why? Why pick a figure like that? Here's why. Jesus is wanting to communicate to Peter, who's finding it hard to forgive, that what it has cost God to forgive him is way beyond anything he could ever imagine. That's the point. The point is this. It's hard for God to forgive. God doesn't find it easy to forgive. And I'm not sure how many believers actually realize this. I'm not sure how many Christians recognize that it is hard for God to forgive, that God has a hard time forgiving, that God actually knows more than anyone the pain of what it means to forgive. I want to look at a few scriptures in the Bible to help to demonstrate God's attitude towards sin. Now, what do we mean by sin in the Bible? It's anything that's not like God. Anything that is kind of unrighteous, dark, underhand, deceitful, tricky, the kind of stuff we're pretty good at. Listen to what God says in Psalm 50. He says, Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be no one to deliver. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart. There you are. That's how God feels about those who sin. Or listen to this. For a long time I've held my peace. I've kept still and I've restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labour. This is God speaking. I will cry out like a woman in labour. I will gasp and I will pant and I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. It's God responding to the sin of his people. Heartbroken. You might say, can you really use a term like heartbroken to describe God? Yes, you can because God uses it of himself in the book of Ezekiel chapter 7. Verse 9, God says this. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. How I've been broken over their whoring heart. It's God speaking. How I've been broken over the fact that those who call themselves my people have gone after other gods and loved other gods. We see God threatening to tear people apart. We see God gasping and panting like a woman in labour. We see God confessing himself to be broken. If you want evidence that God finds it hard to forgive or that it was hard for God to forgive, maybe look at it this way. Your sin, my sin, your sin, our sin, tore apart the Trinity. Father, Son and Spirit who lived in unity eternally Beautiful communion were torn apart by our sin. Suddenly, the Son, forsaken by the Father, looking for comfort in the Spirit but finding none, dejected and alone on the cross. Why? Because of our sin. The pain of forgiveness 
is known by no one in the way that it's known by God. Because if any of you in this room have been hurt, and many of you would have been hurt, you know how hard it is to forgive. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. Nothing like how hard it is for God. Let me put it another way, maybe. You find it hard to forgive someone when they sin against you, even though you are just as corrupt as them. You don't find it hard because you hate the sin. You find it hard because it hurt you so bad. When someone sins against God, it's not just that they've hurt him, it's that he hates sin. He is morally perfect, absolutely pure. And so it's not just that he's been hurt, betrayed, it's that sin has been involved, which he hates because he is holy, holy, holy. It's like a 3,000 million pound debt, Jesus says. I worry that we don't get it. I worry that we really don't get it. And, we, and that we, we think we can just kind of breeze in. And it's, well, it's God. It's what he does. God forgives, isn't he? People say God forgives. It's what gods do. Forgive. And as a result, you know, yes, sin, but, you know, God understands. He knows he's, he's good like that. And I'll say sorry and it'll, it'll all be fine. And you think, is that repentance? Is that, is that biblical confession? Is, I don't think, I think that's something different. I think that's mocking God. Maybe. I think that's not understanding. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, all the various rituals that they had to go through in order to atone for sin, why was it so detailed? Have you ever asked yourself, why was it so kind of meticulous and so, it seemed so complex and interwoven? Why? It was a message saying you can't just breeze in and get forgiveness. You've got to understand that really what the sin does is that it so removes you, so separates you from God that, it, that, it, that in order to kind of find a way back through, listen, it's no easy thing. All of those meticulous details are pointing towards the true sacrifice, Jesus. It's all a shadow pointing to the substance. But I tell you, it was no less meticulous with Jesus. Can you imagine living every day knowing that if you sinned once, you could no longer die for the sins of the world? Can you imagine what kind of a meticulous life? Can you imagine the way he had to guard and watch his heart and, and stay in close fellowship with the Father and be on the watch and alert day in, day out for 33 years that he might go to the cross as a pure and spotless sacrifice? Staggering. It's absolutely staggering. There was a story that Philip Yancey told in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which is a good book. But I fear that the story could be in some ways misleading. He spoke about a woman who was a, a, a drug user and a prostitute who had a two-year-old child. She was hiring out her two-year-old child for sex so she could support her habit. And someone was talking to her, she was in, you know, she was obviously in dire straits. And they said, have you ever thought of going to church? And she looked at them with this incredulous face and said, are you serious? I, I feel bad enough about myself already. Okay? And the whole idea with that story is, you know, churches shouldn't be people make, making people feel bad about themselves. I understand 
the sentiment. What was being said there is, is that a church should not be somewhere where sinners go, get made to feel worse, and just leave instilling their sin and feeling worse. I get that. Absolutely. We don't want that, do we? Neither, though, do we want people to come to church, be around believers in horrific sin, and be comforted in that. To get the impression, you know what? It's all right. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Because that's not the gospel either. The gospel is, is, it is that bad. You are that bad. That's the gospel. But he is so good. He is so good that he still wants you. (laughs) And he will pursue you with amazing love that cannot be understood fully. He will pursue you. In fact, he has so pursued you that he's given his one and only son to die in your place so you could be forgiven. That, you see, that is the gospel. And it starts to make sense then because that gospel creates people who think, man alive, I am not under deception about the fact that I did terrible things and deserve judgment, but God has not just been the judge, he's been the judged. He's been judged in my place so I can be forgiven. It produces those who are grateful, those who are bowled over by the grace of God. And that's what we want. It's what God wants. Those who understand, I've received mercy. Wow, I've been utterly, that my sin has been let go of. God no longer holds it against me. He welcomes me as his own. And the result is your whole life is shaped by mercy. That's what the gospel ought to do. Now in the old days, you'd be concerned that people would would think of God as an old man in the sky and Father Christmas in the sky and that kind of thing. I don't think we think like that anymore, but I think maybe we think that God's a kind of a mixture between uh, M people and Whitney Houston. And uh, kind of, and he's bringing out this song, and uh, it's not a very catchy title, but it's done really well in the charts. And here's what it's called: it's called, um, it's called "Search for the Hero Inside Yourself," um, because then you can discover the greatest love of all. Yeah, the greatest love of all. It's happening to me. <coughs> Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Now, forgive my strong language here. Okay, forgive me if it, I hope it's not offensive. But if you serve up on a plate that kind of sentimental, humanistic crap and call it the gospel, you are in grave sin. And you will be held to account for it. Because it's not your gospel, it's his gospel. And it's nothing like that. It really isn't. God loves you because you're so lovely. That is not the message. The message is God loves you because he is incredible. He is absolutely incredible that he might still pursue us in our rebellion, in our stubbornness, in our selfishness, and come after us with an offer of absolute mercy and free forgiveness that our whole lives might become shaped by grace and mercy. That is the gospel. Because if, if the message is just that you're so lovely, please explain the cross to me. Please help me understand the cross. It makes no sense. So we've got this big dare. Jesus is saying, the Christian has been forgiven that kind of debt. And then we get this second debt where the servant who's received this incredible mercy then goes off to find the guy who owes him 10 grand 
and says, I'm going to have that money off you. Now, hold on a minute. Why 10,000 pounds? Why not 1p? Because that would kind of make it seem even more amazing, wouldn't it? You think on face value, 3,000 million pounds, 1p. That's a bigger gap. Minus 1p. You know, let's just keep going. Let's make it crazy. You think, why, why? Here is, I think, why. Jesus used a decent sum like 10 grand because he understands that when someone sins against you, to forgive them really costs. And it actually feels, when you forgive someone properly who has sinned against you, it feels like writing off a debt, not of 1p, but of 10,000 pounds. And you find yourself thinking, I feel crazy doing this. I'm feeling crazy. You did that to me, and I'm never going to bring it up again. And I'm never going to mention it to anyone. And I'm never going to make any tricky little comments about it. And I'm never even going to give any looks about it. I'm going to completely release you. You can end up thinking, you're crazy. Because what if they do it again? Then what? Then I'm going to write off your debt. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to never bring it up again. I'm going to never talk about it. I'm going to never make clever little comments about it. I'm never going to steal you a sideways glance. What if they do it again? I'm going to let you go. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Ouch. You can say amen if you want. I'm saying ouch. Amen and ouch. Ouch men. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 10,000, man. Every time. Every time. Jesus knows. Jesus knows it hurts. It hurts. It really hurts. Now, you can do like a thing of like, yeah, sure, I forgive you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgive you. That's not it. That's not it, okay? You haven't done it. You said the words. It's not it. So it didn't cost you. You're still harboring it, yeah? Your whole face, your whole demeanor says it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Forgiveness is forgiveness from the heart. Best seen by Jesus, goes without saying, I guess, on the cross. There he is, impaled to the cross, with people mocking him, throwing dice for his clothes and all of that, and he says, Father... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So number one, he prays for them. When you forgive for the heart, you pray for the person. And the prayer isn't, Lord, get them. Lord, forgive them. That's when you know you're forgiven from the heart. You start to defend them. They don't know what they're doing. That's forgiveness from the heart. You recognize there's ignorance in it. I don't know what they're doing. That's forgiveness from the heart. But you still recognize they're responsible. Forgive them. They need forgiveness. That's forgiveness from the heart. It hits every part. Hits your affections. Hits your thoughts. Your attitudes. That. You say, how? How can that? Because that's what God has done for you. If you're a believer, he has said, I forgive you, I release you, I am for you, I'll defend you, my son will intercede for you, I'll protect you. Isn't that what we receive as believers? That's grace, that's mercy. It's not try harder, it's then you might make it. It's not, we'll do this, do that, follow this, follow that, and then maybe you'll be accepted. That is not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is it's been done, it's finished, God has done it for you. Come and receive mercy, come and receive grace. But listen, let it shape your whole life. 
That was the problem with this servant. He wasn't shaped by mercy. He was shaped still by judgment. He was still mostly shaped by his rights. There had been a superficial impact of the mercy he received. It hadn't hit him in his heart. He wasn't as a person shaped by mercy. As a person, he was still operating in the old. I wonder if that's someone here or maybe a lot more of us here. Do you say, yeah, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for your mercy. But you live by your rights. You live by how dare they do that to me. I will show them. And you're playing by two different rules. You're wanting mercy, but you want to live by judgment. And God says, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. God will say, you want to live by judgment? We're going to do it that way. Hand it over to the torturers. What is that? It probably means this, that as a believer, if you withhold forgiveness... If you refuse to live that life of love, if you want to be the person who receives God's love and gives none of it out, you just, yeah. Disciples, Jesus is talking to disciples. Then God in his mercy will hand you over to demonic torment. God will hand you over that you will be tormented. And you see it. You see it in lives of people who just refuse to forgive. They wonder why they're screwed up. They wonder why life is torment up there. They wonder why they, they feel like their life is going around in circles. There's never any progress. What's happened? You've been handed over to torturers. Because it's like the man says, I'm going to play by these rules. And God says, well, fine, let's do it. Okay, in you go and stay there till you pay me back. And then the person says, I can't do that. And then God says, okay, well, shall we reconsider mercy then? It's redemptive. God does it. Why? So that you might wake up and say, what am I doing? God, have mercy on me. I want to release them. I want to live this gospel out properly. <laughs> this thing I've received, I want it to shape everything about me. It's a bit like the Ebenezer Scrooge story, right? Christmas Carol. Most of you know the story. So there's this kind of, this visitation by these ghosts. But it's merciful, isn't it, really? Because what they're doing is they're showing him, they're showing him the, 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 what he's become. And they're showing him what will become of him. And he's gripped with this sense of, I need to change. And we see in the morning, he's a changed man. He's now shaped by grace and shaped by mercy. Opens the window and calls out the little boy, go and buy me the biggest turkey you can find. What's happened? The man's been fundamentally changed by what he's experienced. He's now shaped by generosity and shaped by grace. But that's from a visit by a few ghosts. Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins. That must shape everything about you. How can you receive that? How can you see him there and receive that and then withhold forgiveness, hold on to? Come on. Surely you don't understand the gospel. Surely you don't get what you've received. Jesus is very clear. So my father will do to all of those who do not forgive from the heart and I want to finish by just saying this there are two grounds on which the Christian forgives the first is this is that the Christian understands that God is the avenger okay God is the avenger it's not that well if I forgive them they're just going to get away with it 
No, that's not true. If you forgive them, you're going to get away with it. If you don't, you end up in a dungeon. The whole time with the crazy key in your hand. You're in the dungeon with the crazy key in your hand. That showed them. No, it didn't. It really didn't. You're mad. Look at what you've done. Well, yeah, but you know. What? Well, what? You're not even doing anything. It's mad. You say, God, what am I doing? God is the avenger. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Okay? I will repay. He will. God has taken vengeance on sin at the cross. He punished his son for it. So all those that have sinned against you, if they come to Christ, they will be forgiven. Hallelujah. You should be praying for that, for mercy on all those that have wronged you. If they don't, then God will take revenge in terms of judgment. Leave it with him. He'll do it perfectly. He'll do it thoroughly. He'll do it in a way that your funny little schemes could never accomplish. So leave it with him. Okay? The second ground is this, is that the Christian understands that even though he or she is a victim of sin, that we have all been sinned against. Primarily, we are perpetrators of sin. So even though you might be saying, yeah, but this happened, that happened, my whole life has been shaped by what that person did. My whole persona has been shaped. Where I am now is because of what that person did or what that person didn't do. And it can, you just think, ah. And you know what? God knows your pain. God wants to bring healing. God wants to bind up your broken heart. He wants to do those things. But he also needs you to know if everything had worked out for you from day one, if your environment had been brilliant and those things hadn't happened that were so bad and those bad things and those things that didn't happen that you wished had happened had happened and everything had been beautiful, do you know what? Things wouldn't have been okay. You would still have been set against God and in need of salvation. Because at its heart, the problem is not what happened out there. The problem is you. And until we get to that point where we realise, I am the problem, we'll never repent. We'll always be blame shifting. Yeah, but, yeah, but you... No, I fundamentally am the problem. I cannot change that person. I cannot change what happened 20 years ago. I cannot change that. But I know what I can do. I can bring myself to the foot of the cross. And God can change me. Yeah. Wow. So the Christian understands God is avenger, righteous, holy, pure, does it well, does it perfectly, knows all the intricacies of the situation, and is fundamentally good. And I actually primarily am not victim, but am perpetrator. And am overwhelmed with the fact that I have been totally forgiven for my sinful ways. That's the gospel foundation. That's what God wants to put into our hearts today. That's what God wants to bring us to as we respond in just a moment now. We're going to get the band up in just a sec. We're going to take the bread and the wine. When we come back to the cross, we see his body broken for us, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And by God's grace, don't you want to see it in a deeper way? By God's grace, don't you want to be more deeply impacted so that this gospel message shapes everything about you? Oh, golly, I need it. I tell you, I need it. 
constantly, God, break in more, break in deeper, keep me from self-righteous, self-centered, unrighteous anger. God, I just, we need mercy constantly, don't we? And we need also to resolve, I'm going to live out of the mercy, God, that you've given me. Some of you have got to do business with God tonight. Some of you, let's just go for like a holy kind of melee, which kind of means like a holy mess where we just kind of deal, deal business with God. You know, get, you think, oh, I want to pray with me. Get someone to pray with you. Kneel down by the bread and the wine. Take it. Pray together. Maybe you need to just get alone with God. Maybe there's someone in this room that has sinned against you. You need to go and front them up and say in a gracious way and say, look, we've got to talk because I think you sinned against me. Don't just go up to me if you find them annoying. Okay, it doesn't help. I'm going to forgive you because you're annoying. It doesn't help, okay? It's not, what, it's not it biblically, okay? The Bible says, here's what you do with annoying people. Bear with them. Because right, you're one too, right? So you want others to bear with you, you bear with them. But when someone sins against you, it's different. It's different. You need to go and say, you know what? I, you do it well, because that increases their chances of responding well, doesn't it? Say, so, look, I just want to, I'm doing this for the purposes of the gospel and God. It's not, don't ever go at you, but you know, when you said that, you may not have meant it, but it's just, it's gone in and been living with it. I just want, you know. I want to forgive you, but I need to let you know. Cause, and then, you know, if someone approaches you like that, please let me urge you to say, sorry. You know, it may be that you actually did mean it at the time and you've recognised it and you've not been brave enough to bring it up. In which case, say, yeah, I was an idiot. Sorry. Please forgive me. Could have been that, you know what, you don't even ever remember saying it. There was nothing bad in your heart. It just kind of, it came out meaning one thing and it meant something else to someone else. In which case, just say, I really didn't mean it like that. And I can't even remember it happening, but obviously it had an impact. Sorry. Please forgive me. Be reconciled in Christ. It's so important. It's so important that we don't become a community where people harbour things, you know, and there's little things building up over time and silly stuff going on over that we actually mature and able to talk about these things constructively and helpfully. Maybe I've said something. Maybe, you know, obviously many of you wouldn't know me that well other than being up here. Maybe I've said something that's really been un unhelpful, just something not from the law but from my own mouth, chaff, you know. Please just come and tell me. I'd willingly, gladly just get right with you, but at least, you know, it's no drama, you know. Let's, let's just keep, because it's the gospel, right? The gospel breaks the divisions. It breaks the dividing walls between Jew and Gentile, black and white, old and young, male and female. All these walls come down through Christ's body so that we can build something diverse. So that we can build something. How do these guys get on? The blood of Jesus. That's how these guys get on. It's supernatural. They may not have loads in common naturally, but God's brought them together. And they're guarding. They're guarding that with jealousy which we ought to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. If the band would like to come up, that would be great. Let's just be before God together. Lord, we want to see the gospel freshly. We pray for the Holy Spirit revelation. That the wonder of this incredible debt that we have been forgiven would wash over us and impact us in a way perhaps maybe that we've never, we've never seen before. 
I pray, Spirit of God, would you go in on those words of truth from Scripture and take those words into the recesses of our being, Lord God, that we would be thoroughly arrested and thoroughly transformed by this incredible message that you, the living God, the Holy One, the one who hates sin, the only one who knows what it really is to hate sin, you have freely forgiven us from your heart, that you have let us off every day, that you welcome us as children, your own children, that there's no hostility or bad feeling, but that you welcome us completely as those utterly forgiven because of the broken body of your son Jesus, because the price has been paid at the cross. What a message, Lord. I pray for impact of that message. I pray that open the eyes of our hearts. I pray help us to receive grace afresh mercy afresh and Lord I pray that it wouldn't be a pond it would be a river that flows out of our lives Lord God that we would extend grace and mercy to all those we meet because we are the objects of your mercy and grace I pray it Lord we pray Lord go to work amongst us we take the bread and the wine let your living presence Lord just draw out deep repentance where need be bravery and courage to let things go Humility, not to consider ourselves so important. I pray work with us, please, Holy Spirit, as we look to put Jesus first in our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Here.